You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, we will be talking about some games that we've played over the last couple weeks or so, some games that we're looking forward to, and we will get into part two of our board game topic, Board Game Etiquette, followed by our top three games that we've played too much. Today is episode 13. We are recording at Demolition Games. If you're in the Salt Lake City, Utah area, we all highly suggest that you come check out Demolition. And we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Christo. I'm Justine. And Matt. Oh my gosh, thanks for tuning in. I am so excited about this show today. Do you know why? Why, Brandon? No reason. I'm just happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) It is exciting. Um, So I had a recent thought. If you look on board game Facebook pages, including our own, if you're shopping on Amazon and you're looking at board games, it always lumps in board games with toys. Toys and games. And toys, yeah, or toys and board games. Are board games toys? Do you guys consider them toys? Heck yes. I don't play games with lots of miniatures. Those guys are playing with toys. I'm not a goofball like they are, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I, I think, think they're toys. Yeah, I think they're. that's a, like a ma- mass market thing. Uh, Amazon, Walmart, I don't know. Those, those places would classify them as toys. And I think there are games which are aimed at younger children. Well, children. So, yeah, some of them are toys, I'd say. I mean, you play with toys. You play board games. I think a big... Uh, I, th- I think here's, like, the difference is, like, board games have rules and boundaries. Toys don't have any rules, and the boundaries are set by the imagination of the user. However, I found that board games are sort of my adult toys. Don't think too hard on that one. <laughs> um but it's true, like, I get a very similar feeling that I did when I was a child when I get a new board game or when a board game is, like, set to release that I get excited about. It's like seeing a Ninja Turtle commercial when I was a kid, you know, new Ninja Turtle toy. Oh, definitely. I mean, to me, I think a toy is something that, you know, we play with uh, to entertain ourselves. I was looking up the definition. It says particularly a child, but I think that's a dumb definition of a toy. I mean... I, to me, it's something you entertain yourself with. It's a toy. It's something you engage your brain and do creative things with. For sure. This is getting way too philosophical, but, I mean, everything's a toy. Like, <laughs> a car is a toy. A boat is a toy, you know. No, you're uh, right. It could be TVs toys. toys you know, it's just like everything is a toy. I mean, it depends on They're how you just treat larger it. larger and more complicated. So there you go. Larger and more complicated games. My, are my car is definitely not a toy. Because I don't play with it. It's just a thing to get me from destination A to B. Yeah, but, but you know that's what I mean. Sometimes yeah. that's a mm-hmm. person's hobby is working on their car and they're very particular about their vehicle. Um, so we will talk about some toys that we've played with recently disguised as board games. So this week, 
uh, we, Matt and I, rediscovered Feast for Odin, which is a game that we bought, I think it was early on in our board gaming hobby. Yeah, it was the end of 2018, so yeah. maybe. So it's pretty early on. Um, we kind of thought Rosenberg was like the end-all be-all of all board game designers, and he came out with this new Viking game, and it was super cool, and um, we rushed out and bought it, and we played it and played it and played it, and then we quit, um, kind of because we expanded our horizons, I guess. But recently we were able to get the expansion for Feast for Odin, the Norwegians, um, and I finally got a chance to get it to the table this week with some other people that have played Feast for Odin a bunch of times with us. Um, and I think it adds a lot to the game. I'm not a huge expansion person. I mean, I think for the games that we play over and over again, they're great. They're a way to add to the game, but I'm not going to run out and buy an exp every expansion to every game I own. But I would highly recommend this um, addition. It adds in, like, kind of not variable player powers, but you have, like, your own little artesian <coughs> hut that does things for you. So you might be a beekeeper or a farmer or a whatever. Um, and then it adds in a bunch of different shapes of tiles that you can add onto your board. It's kind of like a pentomino game where you're trying to cover squares. I think it's just an interesting addition. It changes things. Um, yeah. That's what I've heard. I've heard it's a must-own expansion. Definitely. Does it balance the game in any way? Because that's what I've heard about it is that, like it fixes supposedly things. I don't know. I've never played actually Feast for Autumn yet. So yeah, I, I don't think curious. I stopped playing it because we expanded our horizons. I think we kind of found some metas that were just too powerful and the game got stale. So that's what I wanted to fix. Yeah, so one of the things is in Feast for Odin you have a stack of like 100, more than 100, bunches of cards of occupations kind of like in Agricola that, I mean, when Matt and I play Agricola, we take those out completely because we think they're dumb. It's kind of top decking you know, luck. Right. And uh, so in this game, you have a bunch of occupations the same. And in the old game, if you draw the wrong ones, like you're just kind of screwed. You're, if you draw the weak ones for your strategy, too bad. In this new one, you can discard your occupations for points. So like the first person to do it gets four points and then it gets progressively worse. But so at least the occupations you draw aren't completely useless. I'm glad he's listening to feedback because Agricola, he went the other way. He just kept on designing more and more decks and people said this is unbalanced. And so we just made like an even more powerful deck so you didn't have to play with the old cards. Yeah. Um, and then I wasn't able to play with the animals like I wanted to. That was a big thing is in the base game of Feast for Odin, animals are just not a viable strategy at all. If you try and go for animals, you're losing. Um, and they said that this fixed it. I sadly wasn't able to play the animal strategy just because things didn't work out that way. But so I guess I'll get back to you on that one, whether it works out or not. Cool. All right, cool. Uh, this week I finally got to play Cooper Island. Um, it's by the same designer as La Granja, and it kind of shares a lot of its DNA. Um, in Cooper Island, you're drawing tiles out of a bag, um, but that's not where the luck comes in. And then I'd say its other primary mechanism is worker placement. Um, it's a really tight game. You only do like 12 actions a game or something. It's one of those. And um, just like in Lagranha, all of your ideas are really moderated by the game. If you want to try and do something explosive, the game will slap you in the face. Um, there were cool things about it. 
Um, but mostly I ended up not liking it because there's a lot of novel mechanisms and fun combos you might see. And then just there are things that the game put in on purpose to kind of make some of the mecha- mechanisms even fiddlier. Like uh, there's this recor- recurring perk that you get whenever you make a delivery, but the game only lets you do it like what activate one of those per round. So LOL, if you thought that you could make combos from there, you can't make combos with your tiles. You can't grow your family to more than like three meeples very easily. I will argue you didn't actually play Cooper Island because I taught yeah. the rules horribly wrong. Um, I mean, I don't think I got any of the issues you have wrong, but I would argue we haven't played Cooper Island yet. I would argue we've played <laughs> a crappy rendition of it. <laughs> the funny thing is I was going to say exactly the same thing. I think the rule was like significant enough to where basically one of the hard caps that Matt is talking about, uh, basically the game kind of stops your resources from exploding. Uh, we kind of played wrong. So, yeah, but yeah, anyway. Um, the thing we played wrong actually is probably a good part of the game. Um, you have this decision. Um, as you put more and more tiles on top of each other, you get more and more better resources. But there's this other element of the game where you have to put a house on your highest tile. And then so, hey, now you can't put any more tiles on top of it. Now you can't develop it further. So that seems like a fun decision. And we didn't play that right. But I watched a playthrough on a heavy cardboard of the game played the right way. And it is just do 12 things, just focus on this one aspect of the game, even though it seems like there's a lot of interlocking mechanisms. It seems like there's like 20 things you can do. Uh, The guy who won just built statues, and that's all he did. (laughs) And he won by 10. Yeah, uh, my initial reactions, we can talk about it later, but the game is kind of excessively kind of just unpleasant and um, just too like tight uh for to be enjoyable in my opinion uh the game kind of presents you with like so many things you can do and then you can't do them so it's kind of just really frustrating actually uh that's just initial reactions though we need to play it like properly and then just last thing i'm gonna pivot and say but lol i actually had a lot of fun and think it's a good game somehow okay (laughs) (laughs) cards and cubes is about to get modest because that's not the only game we're going to talk about where we first got the rules wrong um my next game is Similo. Now, when Nerf Ball first came out, their pitch was, it can't hurt babies or old people, and I think <laughs> this should have the same pitch. Um, <laughs> Similo's an extremely simple game. It's sort of a, um, a, a guess-who style game with cards. There's going to be a grid of cards on the table, and the clue giver, it's a cooperative game, the clue giver is going to have one of those uh, they're people, by the way. They're people cards. The one I have is history. There's also a fables one. So it's going to be some historical figure that the clue giver has seen and put out on the grid. And they are trying to get the other players not to eliminate their character. And the way they do that is playing cards from their hand. Uh, they either play it vertical, meaning that it has something similar to their character, or horizontal, meaning it has something different. Um. And then they have to eliminate. First round, they have to eliminate one. Second round, two. Third round, three. Fourth round, four. Fifth round, there should be two left. And you have to eliminate the right one. At any time, if you eliminate the character, you all lose together. I call this game a micro filler. 
like a filler game to me is like 30, 45 minutes. This game typically takes about 10 minutes long. There's not a lot of depth there, obviously. It's just sort of fun. Although we have found kind of a strategy to it. There's hand management if you're the clue giver. And as the, the people trying to guess, your conversations are going to make the decisions for the clue giver. So if we're going guess who style and we're saying, oh, he's, he's wearing headgear or not wearing headgear or this person has a lot of hair or anything like that, then the clue giver kind of has to go in that direction. Although with this game, because they're historical figures and they have the year that they were around and like what they did, kind of like their occupation, you can go, oh, this was this is a leader in this time and is maybe French or something something of that nature. And the clue giver is going to go that way. I like it when we go that direction. That's a lot more interesting. Um, but basically, it's just a perfect game to play while you're waiting for other players to show up or a game to play to squeeze in the night before it ends. And yeah, I think it's, for what it is, it's good as a micro filler. Um, going along with the idea of it as a micro filler, I think last night my friends and I played four games of that in the time it took your group to play Linko. So it's a very micro filler. Yeah. Um, and I think it, I mean, it's a simple game, but there's, there can be some depth to it. I feel like, I feel like it's not just as simple as playing cards. You do have to think about things and there's there's a a payoff when you either do or don't flip the right guy. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be more interesting if the clue giver were like in a soundproof booth and wasn't suggested by the people, but then I guess that takes it out of the micro filler category. (laughs) If you take it that seriously. I actually like the fact that the clue giver is listening to us. I like that we as the, the non-clue givers have a bit of control over the game that gives us control, right? Because what we're talking about. Um, I think one of my favorite things I found last night was um, when, as the clue giver, you just draw like a garbage hand of cards and you just have to make the best out of it. I think that's a really interesting decision of like, how am I going to make the absolute best I can out of this these five people that I have to try and figure out something to go with? I mm-hmm. think it's fun. I enjoy it. All right. Um, I played some two-player games that I wanted to talk about uh, last week. Uh, we kind of don't play too many two-player games here, so I have to play them somewhere else. <laughs> um, kind of funny, but true. Anyway, Mandala is a two-player game only. Um, it's kind of a cool-looking game, actually. The first thing that kind of struck me is the game comes with a cloth, so it's like... Uh, instead of a board, it, you play on a cloth. Uh, and the game is very simple. Actually, it's just colored cards and the cloth. Kind of a minimalistic game. Uh, the game is kind of along the veins of just kind of simpler, easy-to-pick-up two-player games. It reminds me of like Jaipur kind of level of complexity or patchwork or something. You know, just um, kind of straightforward two-player games. It's, uh, the cards are all colors, so it's one of those games where the game is driven by colored cards. Um, and usually those games are kind of prone to uh, getting lucky with cards is what I found. But this one actually balances things pretty well. It's kind of cleverly designed. I'm not going to go through how it's played because you're probably not going to get every- anything uh, by not looking at it. But it's kind of like a majorities game. You're kind of doing an area majority to try to time to score things in a particular order. And everything is very clever, like I say, um, 
uh, it, it's, it, it feels good to play. You have some pretty good control. There is some luck, unfortunately. Um, but it's a really neat two-player game. The theme is just really abstract. The whole game is really abstract. You're building two mandalas. Um, I don't know if you know what they are, but they're like Indian representations of the world or something. So, And then you're, they're getting destroyed, and you're claiming cards from them, which score for you in a particular way. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it actually might be up there with, like like I say, Jaipur and just really fun, easy to pick up, enjoyable, fast two-player games, which are kind of satisfying to play uh, and clever. Um, so that's Mandala. It looks really cool, actually, as well. Like It like has a like, really awesome um, look to it. It kind of has to, right, if it's calling itself Mandala, because Mandalas yeah. look really cool. Yeah. The cards are all like mini Mandalas, and the cloth has two Mandalas, which are just neat yeah uh another game i played <laughs> this week was um paladins of the west kingdom we've talked about that before on this podcast i think Risto talked about playing it um i am a huge shem phillips fan um sadly i haven't been able to play his games as much as i would like to um but i kind of agree with Risto that paladins of the west kingdom is probably one of his best um the way that he incorporates like the history of the time period and all of that, I think, is really fun. Um, uh, this is a game that you wouldn't think would be able to tell a story, but it actually does tell quite a funny story if you look at it. One of the mechanisms is that you can either convert or kill the the people that are attacking your city. De de destroy, I guess. Actually, I think thematically you kind of enslave some of them. but Hilarious. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. it's very funny. So <laughs> the game we played, one of the people in the game, his strategy was to go out and convert everybody. And another person's strategy was to go out and kill everybody. So every time he wanted to convert somebody, our other player would run up and murder them. So it was pretty funny to picture like this priest running around the battlefield trying to talk to all these barbarians and then this knight's running up and just like hacking and slashing and killing them as he's trying to convert them to Christianity. <laughs> I don't care about the story as much, but I think it's a fun puzzle because you have all these different colored workers that can make these other different combos. So I really liked it too. Something for everyone. Um, I also got to play a two-player game this week, uh, Kami Sato. Um, it's by Hoochie Games, or Hutchie, I don't know how to say it. I think it's like, actually, is how it's supposed to be pronounced. Okay, so I probably can't say it. Um, but I don't it's know if it's Hoochie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably well, not Hoochie. It, it's it's <laughs> Hutch, but it's not Hutch. It's like, Hoo. I think it's like, Hoo in German. Uh, it means like, ouch, actually. I was, I was talking to Matt about that. I think it literally means like, ouch. That's the name of their publisher. Hmm. Um. And so they're finally releasing some two-player games that have been in high demand but low availability for a long time. Like we finally got Yinch for a reasonable price from them, and now this game we were looking so forward this to is for a like, long time. This is like a third edition of Yinch then, right? Um, I'm not sure, but I know yeah. that for the longest time it would have cost $300 to buy Yinch, and then right. finally it just came out for like It has a different look, 40. though. This is like the third different box it's had. On the inside, it looks the exact same. Right, right, right. I don't know. The about boxes the are different. I was going to say, actually, mm -hmm. they're just straight reprints, but I didn't realize they were changing the box art. That's Maybe weird. they didn't, but they, I mean, the they first, shouldn't. The first when, didn't. when the second publisher took over, they changed the boxes. 
they used to be like really thin boxes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. the really old edition, like yeah. 1999. Uh-huh. Like yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Now there's a ton of wasted space in the box. Yeah, <laughs> it might be the same box. <laughs> true. The, yeah. the last they're, reprint. They're all just like tokens and a board, and they're all super wide, standard, like 12 inches size box. Anyway, yeah. Um, but anyway, I think I can describe this on the podcast. Okay, so it's played on a chessboard, and everybody has eight more or less queens on his back row. And every row and every column of the chessboard has uh, one of each of eight different colors, kind of like a Sudoku. Um, and each one of your queens, your pieces, uh, has its own corresponding color, right? So every row has a yellow, every column has a yellow, and each player has one yellow piece. Okay, and then so eight times that for a number of colors. Okay, so when you make a move, whatever square you land on, your opponent has to move that colored piece. And so that you just combo back and forth, and you just try and freeze each other out. Um, and it kind of turns into a cool deduction game, you know? You say, oh, if I make you move your red, your red can only go to, you know, these three different colors, which can only go to, which can only go to. Um, and so it really makes your brain fire, like it's, you know, just pure two-player pra- two abstract fun. Um, I think that was well described, except how do you win? You get to the other side of the board. Also, yeah. uh, you're saying they're all queens because that's their how they move, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Um, gosh, I, I was pleasantly surprised by this game, and it does like it is kind of a mind melt when you start playing. I mean, you it's like any abstract game where you have to look at every single piece and every. My problem with this game, and the because I lost, and I think this is why Fristo lost, was I kept looking at my your, my opponent's pieces, thinking they were my own. And it's not a problem with the game. <laughs> yeah. There's black and white pieces. It is, but I just thought it was kind of funny that Christo had the same situation. But it's yeah. definitely not the game's fault. I mean, it's literally like our first game. I think you need to play it like 20 times to start understanding like how to control the game and stuff. And this is an abstract game that I actually would play 20 times. I think this is one that I have to own. I have I have Yench and I have a couple other abstract games that I like. Talk, I think it's pronounced talk or tack. Maybe tack. Um... But I think this is one that I have to add to that abstract collection. Um, that is a small collection within my my larger collection because I'm not that huge a fan of abstract games. But this one like works so well, and it's fast too. Right, you can play a big long series, but if you just want to play one game of it, oh, mm-hmm. it's less than ten minutes for sure. Yeah, and I like the there's a mechanism in it where if you do play a big long series, so you play, um, you can play best of three, best of five. Best of seven, seven, 15. Well, however, but every time you um, win, you get a little token on the piece that you made it to the back rank with, and it gives it sp- gives that piece a special power. They can push other pieces around. It's like promotion, I yeah. guess. And they're, they're also points. So like the first token on a single piece is worth one point and then two points, and then so it escalates. But it's really fun. I And I'm not like a huge two-player abstract person, but I like Camisato. Agreed. Um, okay, so I just want to quickly go over some of the new stuff that Marvel Champions came out with um, that we got a chance to play, not we as the podcast. Um, so Ms. Marvel, it, not Captain Marvel, that co- that comes in the base game. Ms. Marvel is um, like a teenage superhero. She's all stretchy. Um, <laughs> she's uh, She has a, protect, a protector deck, and I'm not going to go through a lot of the... Um, the, the hero packs, just because, like, I mean, if you like that hero, get it, right? It um, doesn't it doesn't change the game dramatically. 
then Captain America came out. I also haven't played with them. Um, I let the other two players that play play with them first. The one I want to talk about really is Green Goblin. The Green Goblin scenario pack comes with two scenarios. The second one is just like a hard villain, basically. Like they have minions that come out that just automatically attach themselves to you, which if you played the game, you know that the way to avoid minions attaching themselves to you is you pull them in a boost card. But if they pull them in a boost, they still attack, attach and attack. However, the first scenario, the Green Goblin has two sides of his card, which this is the, up until this point, this is the first time we've seen this. Um, he has a Norman Osborn side, and he has a Green Goblin side. If he were to attack his Norman Osborn, he will put an infamy token on a card called Criminal Enterprise. If you were to attack him, you take tokens off of this Criminal Enterprise. If this Criminal Enterprise has zero tokens on it, it flips to a madness state, and Green Goblin comes out. Green Goblin will attack when he flips immediately, and then on his phase, if he were to scheme, he takes a madness off of the state of madness. And if the madness clears, then he goes back to Norman Osborn. This is interesting because you can't deal damage to Norman Osborn. You only could do damage to Green Goblin. So, and you don't want those infamy tokens building up because there's cards in the deck that will hurt you. How much are they going to hurt you? Depending on how many tokens are on this card. So it's this weird balancing act of you want to wait to flip Green Goblin until everybody has good amount of damage they could deal to him. So this scenario took a long time. It took about almost two and a half hours because we, I think we played it right because we beat him, but we were waiting for an arsenal of cards in front of us before we flipped. And we flipped and then we dealt a bunch of damage and then we let him go back to his Norman Osborn side. And then we, again, built up an arsenal, hit him. It was long, but it didn't feel that long. I was still engaged. I wasn't waiting for the game to be over. I wasn't like, let's just die, whatever. So I would say that this scenario is, uh, is, is pretty interesting. If you're into the Marvel Champions universe, I would say definitely this is worth picking up. And just to note, uh, they announced Thor, Hero Pack, and Wrecking Crew Scenario Pack. Um. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> I actually was thinking you buy scenarios. Can you play without the scenario? I don't know. Because well, it comes with a villain, right? The villain so can is you play, the scenario. Yeah, can you, you can't play the villain without playing the scenario. There's no like base rules or something or whatever. Well, you, I mean, you're playing the scenario. I mean, that's actually, I don't know. Maybe my question is villain. dumb. They, yeah. No, 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 it's not. It's confusing because they call villains scenario packs. It's not really a scenario. Oh, it's the just villain the works for the villain. The villain works a little differently. Each villain works a little differently, but you're playing the same game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, the, the, yeah, the villain rules are the scenario kind of mm -hmm. in a way. This is the fourth villain that you can add to the base game, is which it, comes with three. Is it possible to have, like, two scenarios with the same villain? I don't know. Maybe, this maybe actually is exactly that. Oh, sorry. Yep. Okay. But the second scenario has a different set of villain cards with it. I so it's, it's, it is... So mechanically... It's a different villain. Thematically, it's the same villain. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, back to my two-player games. I played Conja, actually. It's 
called K-O-N-J-A. It's a remix of um, kind of Ancient Terrible Things, actually, another kind of Cthulhu game uh, for two players only. Uh, there's Ancient Terrible, Terrible Things, I think it's four players, if I remember correctly. Um, and there's another game which is re-implements, it's listed on BGG as re-implements Ancient Terrible Things. And then there's Conja. Um, it's kind of it was kind of a the dice rolling game, really, just kind of Yahtzee with some card powers. That's how I describe the game. Um, uh, the game has an interesting kind of a worker placement, not really, just kind of a timing thing. There's basically five cards, and you choose to do one, which actually helps both people, but it helps you slightly more, kind of like role selection. Actually, is what it is. That's that's really what it is. Um, the funny thing is, the person I was playing the game with kind of almost hated the game probably um, really didn't like it um i liked it <laughs> <laughs> the scores were actually really close so i don't know if it was a score thing i think he hated the aspect of attacking each other in that game and it kind of is a take that game there's some literally like take that cards for example there's a card which actually comes with your initial cards which you tap to roll a die and if you roll a high enough number you can actually replace someone someone's dice with it thereby ruining the set that they were trying to make so it's basically kind of like a knock each other i really like <laughs> take that in two player games yeah no i was gonna say actually it, it kind of was really bad if and i was just thinking like um if in a three or four player game that'd be just hilariously like horrible because it's basically like a heavy take that like skip your turn game or something you know but in a two-player game it really works and i think that's actually kind of the key for those mechanics is um when it's there's like a lot of heavy take that maybe it should be a two-player game or some kind of a teams game or something um the theme is again kind of whatever you're shamans and you're trying to summon rain clouds actually of all things and you're using these like spells to hurt each other and get resources to summon rain clouds. But basically, like I say, surprisingly, almost surprisingly, because I mean, it's my game, so I looked at it previously, but it's kind of a game that you should not take seriously. The scores were close though, so for how take that it is, it's kind of fairly balanced, I think. Uh, kind of a fun, just dice chucking, hit each other game of some cool decisions actually is how i describe it um the art's also pretty cool i enjoyed it so conja okay so a next game that i want to talk about actually we've all played in its first contact so we could all kind of discuss it mm -hmm. but what's first contact the theme is aliens come down to ancient egypt and they go to egyptians and they say i want some things but they don't speak the same language. So the humans go, hey, look, here's a, a cup, a comb, and a an hippo. <laughs> Tell me in your language what this has in common. And then they give you that symbol, and you say, cool, now I know a piece of your language. And then they say, let me give you a sentence in my language, figure out what I want. And the humans say, do you want this? And they say, I do want that. Here's a token of gratitude. That's the theme of the game. That's almost the mechanics of the game. Um, the Basically, I kind of described the mechanics right there. That's what it is. But the, the, the humans and aliens are going to be kind of split on two teams. There's a winner for the aliens. That's if they get um, either three to five, depending on what kind of game you want to play. Um, if they get to three or five, 
things that they want, then they win automatically. The humans will win if they have the most tokens, no matter where the tokens came from, which aliens. The board is a grid of cards, much like code names. The aliens are staring at um, a card that's much like code names as well that shows them their color of card on the grid, cards that they need to get. The humans will take a turn, again, turning these, like tapping these cards to have something similar about all of them that they're trying to say maybe alive or maybe round. The aliens will discuss, I think he's trying to say this or this. You have a board of English words along with alien symbols. That's the alien board. The humans will have the words with a blank spot to be able to write in these symbols. The aliens will show the symbol. Everybody sees it. Never, all the humans could kind of write down what they think it might be. And then the aliens will write like a few different symbols trying to tell the humans what card they want. You have another little board that's the grid of cards. You'll mark one that you think the aliens want. Everyone will show it. If you got it right, you get a token. That's basically the game. I think it's a really neat game. I don't think I've ever seen a game where you are on a team, but you're not, you're competing against your team members. So the aliens are competing and the humans are competing, but you're kind of cooperating with the other team who are also competing against each other. So like I, as the alien, am cooperating with all of the humans, but... Competing against the other aliens. Yeah, that's true. Because, like, if I'm a human with the other humans, we're all giving each other information. Mm -hmm. We're not discussing it, but we are giving each other information. And, yeah, as the aliens you're talking about, does he mean this symbol? Or maybe this symbol? And you, as the aliens, don't want to screw with the other alien necessarily because if you give a wonky symbol, it's going to make your life a lot harder, too. Yeah, sometimes I can't wrap my head around who's benefiting from good actions I do because everybody gets the same information. That's the conundrum there because as a human, you can tap the obvious cards and tap all, like tap a couple animals and a, and a, a human being and obviously it's alive mm-hmm. and everybody knows that. Or you can tap some obscure things and hopefully confuse your competitors but at the same time, you're going to confuse the aliens, which are going to confuse you. Oh, yeah. The confusion will come full circle. Yeah. Back to and you. that's it's kind of a game of confusion, which might be painful, but I find it to be kind of fun and funny. I kind of want to steer toward the confusion in future playthroughs. <laughs> I want to kind of just, you know, make More hard confusion. clues and we have to hold things in our head. Um, if the aliens ever don't agree on something, then the game tree kind of splits and one alien says, I think it's this word, and the other alien says it's that word, and then so that's another thing you have to hold in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a way to make it be not too easy because there's this unfortunate lucky thing that might happen where the humans choose a cert- the cards in a certain order, which just super benefits one alien. They can happen to choose all of the red alien's words, and the red alien just has to give one-word sentences the humans just matchy-matchy, and the red alien wins. There's a problem. I turn one card, and then that's it. You give me that symbol for that one card. 
then on your turn, if you happen to have that card, that's what you want. The alien wants that card. You write that symbol down that you just gave, and you get that yeah. immediately. That's, a, that's that a problem. Else. I was yeah. going to say, actually, <clears throat> my reaction from the game is it's kind of a really fascinating, almost like academic exercise or something, like proof of concept game about like the cool concept of learning a language through a game. Uh, but as a game, I feel like it's a little bit random. It's kind of slightly unpleasant because of all the confusion and like the 50-50s. And like basically the game is kind of like what does anyone want and like it's just like some turns are just like the aliens give you what they want and actually the the cheesy thing is you should really kind of give like not clues uh what i mean is the aliens can actually request not that and not that and not that which kind of makes it into like uh well i'll just choose randomly one square of the remaining grid and hopefully that's what they want and uh, there's kind of a lot of luck and confusion, basically, in the game. Um, but it's a very interesting and unique game as far as, like, you know, it's one of the few games where you actually, like, are, like, learning a language in the game, which is very fascinating. The question is, is it much of a game rather than an exercise? Yeah, or, like, a simulation or something. Yeah, yeah. And as an experience, I think it's a pretty neat experience. I don't actually let myself get frustrated with this game, which could happen easily. I just roll with the confusion and <laughs> and see how it works out and just know that, like, everything on my board could be wrong. But for some reason, it ends up not being that wrong almost every time. And all of this matches the theme, right? Imagine aliens coming down and For trying sure. to teach us the language. There should be a lot of confusion, so it matches the theme. I should mention the art is awesome. Um, it's all Egyptian hieroglyphics, but insert aliens. Um, the pyramids are blasting off from space like rocket ships and abducting cows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the cows are like Egyptian hieroglyphs. It's wonderful. Because there's that conspiracy History Channel guy who says that aliens built the pyramids, right? I think yeah. it's kind of playing on that a little bit. <laughs> when you set it up, it's going to look a lot like code names. It is going to look maybe even a bit confusing. And even just me explaining it on the show, you're, you're probably confused. But it's actually not that confusing. Mm-hmm. Once you get it, it's like, this is very simple. It's very easily back and forth kind of thing. Is it like code names, though? I mean, there's similarities. And more the similarities is, I think, the look of certain things, but it does not, to me, feel like code names almost at all. If anything, it's code names with a few extra steps as well. I feel like it's code names with like more confusion um, and actually less fun. Actually, I was gonna say it doesn't replace code names for me in any way. I think code names is still a lot of fun. I think code names is a great game. Um, this is a really neat concept, but as a game, it's kind of pretty wonky in my opinion. When was the last time you played Codenames? Um, actually, I played it online about like six months ago. I haven't played it in real life for a but while. But you've been playing this a while, like frequently. First contact, yeah. just the last two weeks with you guys, that's pretty much it, yeah. Because we're making him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's pretty, true. Pretty yeah. much, actually, yes. I, it's probably true, actually. Like, given the choice, actually, I would probably pick Codenames between the two. Like, if we're like, oh, let's play First Contacts or let's play Codenames. I still like Codenames. I don't know. Maybe I'm, like, alone in the group or something. I don't think it's lame. I don't think it's overplayed. I think it's a fun game. So, I, I do like Codenames, and I do agree with you. I think it's a more fun game. 
code names. The thing is, is I've played code names so much that I just like want something different, and that's what this offers. And that's what I'm just saying. Like I've been playing this a lot more frequently than code names. And given the choice right now, I would say first class. If I played them both the same amount of times, then I might pick code names. I just think again the pictures you paint in your head during first contact are so funny like the theme in first contact comes through really well the theme in code names is pretty pasted on i feel like um that's a good point the theme does come through on this there's kind of no theme in code names i would say the theme is just so dumb the theme they is should the have pictures. made a different they should have kind made of, a, kind they should have made a different uh theme it, like it doesn't make sense that you're like calling agents it's just like no no no, no. you're trying to find the agents you're <laughs> yeah. whispering in their ear the code name <laughs> and if they're so a civilian the card that you put on it very much looks like that civilian's like huh <laughs> what, what the heck? It's actually true, yeah. Uh, the theme does come through way more than First Contact. There's like not even the close comparison. So yeah, yeah I agree. Well, that was our games played. Up next will be our some games that we're looking forward to. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Heaven and Ale expansion. So why am I looking forward to it? One, because I just trust Michael Kiesling at this point. I like everything he does. Um, but what I think I'm going to like about this is it's kind of a more subtle expansion. It's not trying to reinvent the game. It has a really low price point. You can get it for like $23. And uh, it looks like it's only doing like two little things. And it's really easy to implement in the base game. <coughs> it's called Kegs and More. And so every time you make a shed, if you remember what a shed does in the main game, uh, you have a decision to either, you know, uh, make a keg now and help future scoring or just make your normal shed. And then the what's the and more in kegs and more? It looks like it's simply just a donkey you have to feed every so often. <laughs> they have grain around the rondelle and you have to pick it up and feed your donkey. And that seems to be it. So I'm looking forward to this just really subtle expansion. You know, some games get overexpanded and you haven't haven't had a chance to explore the main game super deep. This yeah, how much more good. can you add to Heaven and Nail? It, it feels pretty tight and it feels pretty complete. But I'm also looking forward to it just because I trust the designer and I trust the game, you know. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it and extremely curious on like how it's going to work out with the game. I mean, is it going to make it looser? Because I hope not. I like the tightness of it. I like that if you don't get one resource up, you're going to just get a zero score, most likely. It seems to be maintaining that completely. Nice. It's adding donkey food around the rondelle, which you can pick up in addition to whatever you were going to pick up anyway. Oh my gosh, so, so it's making it tighter. Yeah, Oof. there's still just as many purple circles, yeah. still just as many monks. Yeah. Um, some games that I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to The Crew. The full name is The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine. The Crew is a... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, the Crew is a cooperative trick-taking game. That's about all I know about it. I mean, I've I've heard overviews of it. I haven't seen an overview. And the overview, I wouldn't try to regurgitate because I didn't really understand. Um, I am seeing possibly a trend this year in cooperative trick-taking games because there's also Fox in the Forest, The Duel, which is a two-player co-op trick-taking game. 
Um, what I fear is that it's going to be a trick-taking version of the mind because you can't communicate or else you just win every time. But you have to play tricks in certain times. You have to win certain tricks and you can't communicate that. So what are you doing? You're just like playing cards down, hoping that you everything works out, kind of like the mind. But I hope it's more interesting than that because the mind was kind of a novelty game for me that I played a few times and don't have much of a desire to play anymore. The mind is good for, I think, showing non-players or casual players like, hey, you want to see kind of this interesting game. But playing with the group, there's only so many times you could play with it. And I hope that the crew isn't like that, but I'm hearing a lot of great things about it. Okay, and you haven't played it, so maybe you don't know. But do you think there are maybe conventions that develop to help you? Or do you think you're just guessing what cards to play and hoping you have synergy with your partner? Yeah, I think there might be hints or something of that nature. I know that the game ramps up. It has like levels. That sounds like a lot like the mine too. (laughs) But you you beat one and you get harder and harder and harder. But um, I just want to see a visual overview of this before I commit to it. But... It does sound, I just, I'm just really interested in how a co-op trick-taking game could work. Uh, The other game that I'm looking forward to is Red Alert Space Fleet Warfare. I guess I have a common theme here of long names. But this is uh, Richard Borg's new game. Richard Borg did Memoir 44 and The Great War. Um, It's, his system is called Command, Commands and Colors. Um, and this is under the same system, but it's sci-fi. It's a really big box. It comes with a lot of like spaceship miniatures and, um, it's basically a war game in space. I really want to see how this works compared to just like his like straight up war games. It's got a big price point though. So I wonder how long it's going to take for me to get it if I even get it at all, but it's got a hundred dollar price tag in this particular store in Demolition, which is always priced lower than MSRP. So, yeah, go figure. Uh, zero communication games actually are not necessarily, like, bad. Actually, right, Hanabi is a really Hanabi good Hanabi is actually a really awesome game, which I really enjoy, which is zero communication. Uh, the funny thing with them is uh, you can't correct mistakes until the game is over, so you're just kind of, like, painfully just like... <laughs> but you can't say anything. I would so argue. I would argue that um, <laughs> Hanabi is limited communication, yeah. not zero. No, because you are touching cards. That is a form of communication. Yeah. Well, actually, that's kind of true. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I was gonna say uh, the problem with the mind that I had is like it's, it's not just no communication, but there's also like no information to lead you as to what you should be doing. Uh, what I mean is like, um, well, there's numbers, but whatever. Let's just, anyway. Um, the, the There's, uh, if the game has like decisions that you can, or like things that you can look at that can kind of influence, you're kind of effectively communicating to your point. You know, like yeah. it's so it's it should should be fine. I think it's not necessarily a yeah, problem. People have devoted their lives to bridge. You're not allowed to explicitly yeah. communicate. In there. Well, there's, there's like ways to communicate. There's there's yeah. a convention to communicate with like trick taking games with partnerships. Like if I play this, then I'm trying to like clear it at certain points in a vacuum. In the game it's way better than the you can tell how many cards you're going to play, but you can't how s- tell how strong they're going to play. Convent uh, rules for some kind of limited communication games. 
Yeah. I never like those. Zero communication is usually better. What you're talking about exactly, but... Anyway, um, I've actually kind of not been looking forward to many things over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm kind of uh, going like waves of like looking forward to new stuff and then not. I've been kind of looking back actually at playing some older games um, that I have. But if there's something that I'm actually looking forward to is maybe uh, playing like more of a campaign game or something or just a game with like an arc Um I, we've been playing Glenmore 2 and holding on the life of Billy Kerr with uh, our group-ish. And we I've really enjoyed those games. So I'm just kind of looking forward to maybe just doing, after we're done with those, maybe another game of that kind. Um, I was looking at like King's Dilemma. We were talking about Brandon with Charterstone. We haven't still played that. That's like an old game. That's a campaign game. But um, Maracaibo actually has a campaign, so maybe that's a cool thing to get into. Uh, So that's actually something I'm looking forward to is maybe some kind of more kind of repeatable game experience. I don't know, just something like larger, like a story or that has an arc. Uh, another thing just to mention uh, as far as Kickstarter goes, um, the Simon time machine is happening on Monday, and it's kind of funny that, side note for Kickstarter, um, it's kind of funny that in the email they listed all the possible ways that inventory can run out. <laughs> so like <laughs> all the warnings that you're going to get and like how fast you should be and just like, uh, how how long the items are reserved for in your cart. Like the, the email <laughs> oh went in, in great detail they're, of they're how you can get screwed and like how fast you should be and how fast you should check out. FOMO. <laughs> uh, they're feeding into that. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about this time machine. I haven't heard of it. Uh, basically, it's a way to get uh, exclusives for Blood Rage, maybe Dogs of War, like old Simon game, Rising Sun, old, old Simon games, which are just not available anymore and actually people usually fleece a lot of money for them online you're like going back in time to back these things to get some exclusives that you weren't able to you're not able to get now oh my goodness (laughs) so because people like literally resell and actually they do sell for like hundreds of dollars online i think the exclusive expansions for like blood rage for example i think are going to be pretty popular so I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But um, anyway, yeah, supposedly they're clearing their warehouse and like this is it. But I don't know. I'm almost thinking like if this goes well, maybe they reprint them again in like three years or something. I don't know. Um, who knows? No, for sure. I would not Things believe it until they like delete the files. <laughs> yeah. They can't. <laughs> Show me you have no backup. Yeah. Because if things are going for hundreds of dollars on the secondary market and you can just make them for free. Yeah. Well, it's not make them for free, but I mean, they have like the molds and whatever. But I mean, the, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing with Simon, but I mean, it's happening on Monday, I think. So it should be exciting to see if I'll get anything or if anyone will get anything from our group think maybe other people are doing it i'd like to hear more about this after the fact on our next show yeah yeah yeah. well we'll we'll see how how the experience goes i mean it's probably going to be like the website is down and then like everything just out (laughs) that's that's usually (laughs) that's usually how these things go actually (laughs) i've actually participated in like well not in this but just other things that are kind of rushy and yeah it's usually like you're trying to refresh and the website's like not responding and then just everything's gone uh actually sales on black friday sometimes People are like uh, miniature market and others. They wait until like someone hits the button and then like literally like 
one or two minutes later, everything's just out of stock. So that's, yeah. Anyway, we'll see how it goes. Um, I am looking forward to, and I will say I have been completely taken in by this game uh, for silly reasons. I'm looking forward to Isle of the Cats. Um, oh, yeah, the polyomino style game with cats. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I am enchanted because the only cats. game so far I've heard about cats is uh, Cottage Garden, and that's like very minimally involves cats. Um, so as far as I know, in this game, you're like trying to rescue cats from this island before this evil man comes to like kill them which is horribly sad <laughs> so I'm gonna fix that storyline in my head um but all I have heard so far is that you're like collecting different types of fish to entice different <laughs> shapes of cats onto your boat <laughs> like it sounds nice. ridiculous <laughs> no I've actually heard good things about it I mean there's I feel like there's been this huge influx of polyomino style games I thought you were going to say cats. No. <laughs> that's been happening for a while, right? But yeah. yeah. But yeah, as Harry still can attest, cats are my thing. I like cats. There's like six different cat meeples that look cool. Yeah. Uh, we pre-ordered it, by the way. Surprise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have a Kickstarter coming someday called Calico, which is kind of cat-like, but I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I'm so much more okay with you ordering games about cats than any more actual cats. So I guess I'm happy. You've Hooray. been ordering cats. Ordering cats. <laughs> like mail have order. enough real cats. <laughs> we only have two. Um, I would I would like to note that I've been playing. I played Lorenzo a few times this week, and I'm always looking forward to playing more Lorenzo. It, every time I play it, it reminds me of why it's one of my favorite games. And I think I like Lorenzo El Magnifico. More than I like myself. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, board games don't complain, and I complain a lot. So, All right, so that was some games that we're looking forward to. Up next is our board game topic. All right. Our board game topic this evening is Board Game Etiquette Part 2. We did a Part 1. Do you remember what episode that was? Ooh, it was our trick-taking games episode, I think. Five-ish. Or not trick-taking, drafting games. Top three drafting games. It was a long time ago. I it was a while ago. Yeah, I can look it up. Hang on. But um, it was like shelf five or something. Board game etiquette. We all like to think that we have it. Some of us have it more together than others. Yes. But basically, in that previous episode, we kind of went through a list of things that we thought was important, and we um, we noticed that there was a lot more to cover. Mm-hmm. So this is our part two, and Justine has a lot of topics within this topic. So we'll just apparently I get really irritated by people. <laughs> no, no, no. I think you no, covered yeah. a lot of things. We all we all get irritated with. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'll just start at the top, and we can all discuss these. The first one is um, no kibitzing. And for people who are not familiar with that term, I think it's a chess term. I think it's Yiddish. I know it as a chess term. Yeah. Um, And so kibitzing is basically when you're not involved in the game, standing off to the side and telling everybody else what to do. It's like quarterbacking, but worse. We'll get to what quarterbacking is in a second. In other words, it's backseat gaming. Yeah, backseat gaming. You could be in the game or outside of the game. Yeah. Or is it more 
likely outside of kibitzing the game. Kibitzing is specifically outside of the gotcha. game. So if you're not involved and you're standing over the game and telling other people what to do. Um, usually this happens like when a game has been finished up and people wander over and they want to watch what's happening, which is totally cool. Mm -hmm. I think it's fine to watch games and see what's happening, but it gets really irritating when you are in a game and somebody's sitting there and telling you like, oh, you should do this. Um, one of the things that really irritates me about it is when it's a game where I have like planned something and I have this move on the board and I'm just sitting there holding my breath until my turn to hope that someone doesn't notice what I'm doing. And then the kibitzer stands there and goes, oh, she's going to go there next. You should take that from her. Uh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> or something like five tribes where everybody could see all these moves and you're just waiting for the right move and the player you're right has not seen it and is going to take a bad turn and you're going to take a good turn and that person comes in and says oh you know you could do this and I'm like no <laughs> I've seen two examples of this I've seen people walk up mid game and tell you what you should do right and it's like well you don't know what I've been building to you don't know what's in my mm -hmm. hand you don't know what's in my head and I don't feel like catching you up like let's stop the game while I tell you three paragraphs of my strategy everybody <laughs> else plug your ears yeah right right <laughs> I've also seen in co-op games, people walk up and say, you know, oh, this is always the best thing to do. And then I've seen the player involved and the player not involved argue about what's the best thing to do. And it's like, come on, you're not even playing the game, you know. Um, I don't usually plan on like um, going for things based on my opponents not noticing. I'm not saying like, ah, Christo probably won't see this. I'll go for this. Oh, somebody walked in and showed him. I get mad at kibitzing more when people tell me things that I didn't see because then I don't get the satisfaction of it. You know, I don't get the credit to right, myself, right. you know. Like, they're depriving me of the fun things I can do in the game. It's like, oh, okay, maybe I would have thought of that, but... Also, sometimes you're not going for the obvious thing, right? That could be your strategy. You could have some wonky strategy that you're hoping to work out, and they're telling you the obvious one, and you're like, well, I'm not going that direction. For me, it's kind of like I just uh, don't like, I don't know, advice, really, Yeah from inside or outside the game. I kind of want to play my own game. So that's kind of what it comes down to is just like, I, it's just noise. We're all <laughs> seasoned <laughs> gamers. Do we need to tell each other advice on things? It, and if Not actually really. the, the funny thing is if I'm making a mistake, I'd like to make the mistake so that I can actually play better next time or right. like realize learn that I'm making, yeah, learn from the mistake, yeah. realize and that I'm making mistakes. Interesting things happen from mistakes. Like, yeah, interesting things happen from mistakes. Maybe like I want to do something suboptimal just because it's like weird and it's going to change the game in some way. I don't know. Um, I think the other thing about kibitzing, and this kind of goes along with um, almost like I, I don't want to be like, don't talk to me while I'm playing a game. But if I'm thinking about my turn really hard and you come up and start having a conversation with me, it really throws off my groove. And like yeah, I'm sitting there and sure. thinking. Yeah. So, yeah, kibitzing is a no, no for me. Uh, going along with that is quarterbacking, which is basically playing somebody else's game for them from within the game. So I guess there's like a slight distinction. Um, the most irritating version of this, I feel like, is when you are quarterbacking in a way that makes someone do moves that benefit you or that hurt other people. So to benefit yourself. To benefit yeah. yourself. He's about to win. You better do this to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or when you don't take it well when someone doesn't listen to your quarterbacking. Yeah. Um, 
now sometimes you can say, hey, I'm about to win if you don't do this. I think that's good sportsmanship sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, hey, don't sure. overlook this thing because it will ruin the whole game. Yeah. Sometimes I care more about how a game works out for the sake of the game than, like, the ego of, oh, I won. Sometimes I'm interested in the design and how it works, and I want it to play how it should. And if somebody makes a stupid blunder, I do want to fix that. I don't want to just win because, aha, you missed this. I think that's a great way to play. There's kind of a fine line here, actually, because I'm thinking about, well, I never do this, but really you kind of do this a lot when you're teaching a game. And there's a fine line of telling people like what their options are versus what they should do. And I really try to like regulate myself. Sometimes I kind of veer into the territory of like when I'm teaching a game, like, oh, you should be aware that you can do this, you know, like, like, haha, you should do this. But like, uh, it, it, it's one way to say it in a way of like, these are, these are what your options are. And another way is like, you should do this because that's what you should do, you know. Uh, the, the, I don't know if you guys are, are getting what I'm, what I'm saying. I am. But no, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's a danger when you're teaching the game to a new person because you kind of want to tell them how to like not fail at the game and that's kind of quarterbacking. But I feel like you should like regulate yourself to a degree where you're not literally playing the game for them, just showing them what's possible. Maybe include that in the teach. Like tell them money's tight. So going for money spots, whatever, is probably always viable. Or just include things in the teach rather than during the game tell people where they should go. Um, I am fine with like reminders of like, ooh, if you go here, you're not going to have money. And remember what happens when the yeah, money is like, warnings. Just, yeah, yeah, blunder warnings. That's, yeah. I'm, I, I'm fine with that, actually, when a new person is playing a game. Also, I think certain games maybe are an exception to this rule. I feel like quarterbacking is a mechanism in certain negotiation games or kind of like mm-hmm. worry take that game. Sometimes you want to puppet master the other people, but you know when you're um, playing that game. The funny thing is there are games which are literally quarterbacking. Like uh, I'm the boss, I think, is um, a quarterbacking game. Like <laughs> yeah. you're, mm-hmm. you're, yeah, anyway. Like they're built around the mechanic, which is hilarious. But usually like the games we're talking about, they think are like Euros that are like, not team based, you know, <laughs> that are on a fine balance, and <laughs> yeah. if two people team up against one, <laughs> yes. it's terrible. Yeah, Justine had a good point off show um, that I want to mention it with quarterbacking is that sometimes you have to quarterback. Maybe the person is having a rough time and they don't know what to do, and they're kind of asking for help, and you have mm-hmm. to quarterback them. That is actually sometimes an unfortunate thing. Yeah, is if a player has got involved in a game that's too much for them. And you basically just have to play the game for them. So that's the other side of quarterbacking that could be a detriment to your game as well. We've never had that issue here. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, But I think, like, it's really important. I've been in that situation a couple of different times. And I feel like since I have that um, teacher personality, like, I'm the one that jumps in to kind of help out when that happens. Because it does happen where you're thinking, like, oh, I can totally play this game and it turns out to be way out of your league. You have no idea what's going on or how to play, and the only way for the game to progress forward at this point is for someone to help out and say, this is how you do it. But I think it's really important to be really mindful of how you're quarterbacking them when you're doing that and quarterbacking in the way that's going to maximize everybody else's fun. So don't use them as like your own little pawn. Speaking about keeping the game moving forward, some of the worst examples are it gets to your turn and you don't like what the person before you did 
And so you whine and whine, kind of expecting them to then take it back before oh, you yeah. take your move. That actually happens kind of a lot in this group. Yeah. I think the answer is to help people out in, yeah. in, in situations where they're struggling. I don't think it's like, well, you got involved in this game and too bad for you. You know, mm-hmm. they're people we're playing with yeah. and we should help them out. And then maybe have a talk with them and say, maybe you want to try out a different group that's playing simpler games. Yeah. But I think like in that situation, it's really important not to quarterback into hurting somebody else. Into your favor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like for me, when I do that, I kind of just accept that I'm going to lose that game because if I'm quarterbacking them to hurt somebody, it's going to be me because I don't want to be. I think that's the right. Or the right situation where if they have a move that's going to hurt you, but that's the move they should take and you're quarterbacking with them because they don't know what they're doing, then you do not withhold that information. Exactly. Um, Okay. Keeping within the game is uh matt touched on this don't whine when people take turns or actions that are going to hurt you like please it really slows down the game it's just not necessary and it, it's also yeah. the end of the game a game is a game so yeah i mean take every win or loss with a grain of salt and i kind of don't like the metagame implications of this if people are bad sports and somebody's a good sport if we don't feel like having a confrontation or something maybe we'll punish the person who's a good sport just so they don't yelly at us. <laughs> and that's kind of bad because if anything, you should punish the person who's the bad sport. Yeah. Yeah. They dissuade Something you from that it. may not be on the list is good sport and bad sport. Yeah. I think exactly. that's like my biggest pet peeve of games is um, a good sport or a bad sport. Yeah. A, a sore winner, a sore loser is what I'm talking about in particular though. And they're both rough to deal with. They are. Um, Kinesia actually has a really good saying um, about this, which is, he said, when playing a game, the goal is to win, but it's the goal that is important, not the winning. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's just a, a board gamer version of the saying, uh, it's not the destination, it's the journey. Exactly. We should all be playing to win. We should all be trying to win. Mm-hmm. But whether we get there or not shouldn't be the most important thing. The right. most important thing is that we played our best and learned from whatever mistakes we made. Yeah, I'm pretty bad at this, actually, I'll admit. I've been trying to get better. And actually, if you can believe it, maybe it used to be worse. So anyway, that's that. You're talking but about... It's kind of tough. The win thing, not the good sport. Bad uh, sport, you're a good no, sport. No, the good sport is fine. The whining, because, yeah, sometimes takes your someone takes your action and it's really painful if it's, like, right before you and you've been building up to that action for, like, five turns or something. So you're just like... I have to, like, rethink my whole game and it slows down the game and you take a 15-minute turn. And that's just... Very unfortunate. But like I say, I I try to not whine too much, I guess. <laughs> but I, yeah. <laughs> I don't mind that so much. I don't mind if someone like takes a move that hurts you or that you were planning on taking and you go, oh man, that really sucks. But then you do move on. It's when you're like, no, why did you do that? That was so bad for you. Do this oh, other thing. Yeah. When Please you make it I personal. Don't, I don't yeah. question them. To me, it's like a fact. Like it's just like it's done. And it sucks, so now I have to yeah. rethink my whole game. <laughs> so. Yeah, I would say that you're actually a good sport, and you actually say funny things when people troll you. Yeah, like I hate mean, you. Yeah, <laughs> or you're evil. Is, that one's yeah. me. I'm troll evil. You more. I think you get more than your fair share of the trollage because of that. So maybe you're so too I think good that's of a part of. So you're saying I should like start whining? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's part of like the the end game, inside the game thing where you should be really into it, right? And, like, if somebody does something that I want, like, 
it looks like my whole life has fallen apart sometimes. You know, I go, no, why? You know, I mean, sometimes just, your life does fall apart because that <laughs> sometimes it actually comes down to like winning the game or losing the game. It's right. someone doing something right and before you. You should be into the game enough to get emotionally involved because that's part of the fun of it. But it's carrying it on and on and on or obviously making too big of a deal of it. Also, we're talking about these things. And we're not perfect at all of them. Oh, no. We've all fallen victim to some of these things. It's just all about being self-aware, self-reflective, and trying mm -hmm. to work on these things. If you're actively working on something, that's fine. You're never going to be perfect. Exactly, it's all about yeah. actively working on things. Yeah. But uh, it's oh. like at the end of the game, and you've lost, mm -hmm. and you're just like, cuss fit happens. Or you've won, and you're like, in your face. Like, that's... If you're playing like a three-hour game and everybody's trying their hardest and somebody wins and they're throwing it in your face, it doesn't feel that great, right? Mm -hmm. No, I kind of don't want to like play with those people <laughs> if that yeah. happens, to be honest, because like, uh, it's just like stupid because you are not going to win all games that you play in your lifetime. And it's just like silly to be like, Haha, I want suckers. You're yeah. all like really dumb. And like, you know, like you're probably not likely to win like the next game, you know, like whatever. Uh, so anyway, I just, yeah, that's just really bad. But I don't, I don't think we've had really that bad of issues. Also, this, this list of etiquette, is, as I, I think, is to bring attention to it. So exactly. you don't become shut out of a gaming group. Yeah. Like nobody wants that for anybody. Um, games need people and you need people for gaming. So like this is all being said s to help prevent y your own demise. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of metagaming by metagaming, by the way, to me, like I think it shouldn't be even between games. It should be mm -hmm. like between moves in the same game, ideally. Exactly. Or you rounds. Sh you shouldn't just be like, uh, and that's kind of tough sometimes, especially in the high interaction games, to mm -hmm. just like take every move as like, you know, someone might have done something to you previously and even in the same game, but you kind of shouldn't hold that against oh, them. Oh, for sure. Hold it, hold uh, it against them. It's a worker placement game. I go to a spot that you wanted, and then so the next round, you go to a spot that I wanted, that you know I wanted to go to, not to benefit you, but to hurt me. Yeah. Yes. That, that's yeah. yeah. And I that's think we I'm talked about, about that a little bit in the last episode of board game etiquette was like that meta gaming thing of like anything should anything that happens should stay in that game. Don't take it into right. Take it forward. But or even, or point, even that yeah. in that move probably, round to round yeah. or something. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the other big one, and again, this comes with a caveat because there are you know it's there are times where this is fine and times where it's not, and this is taking back moves. So, um, and this can go anywhere from, to me, if you look down and you realize I had the choice to take like three coins and two wood or two coins and three wood, and I took the wrong combination because of this plan that I had and I miscalculated, like, okay, fine, change it out. If you look down at your board and you're like, oh my gosh, I should have taken this action, but like it, the other player's already halfway through their move, or even worse, like it's already gone around. Like, you, you missed the train, buddy. Because <laughs> reversing more than one turn is kind of a pain and it slows down the game. And it's like, it comes down to like, how badly do you need to win? Do you need to win so badly that it, that it messes up everybody else's fun? 
or the game. You have to reverse all these turns. Uh, for me, I would never reverse more than one turn. That's just ridiculous. But I'm actually fine with reversing this turn, assuming the game doesn't have elements of like revealing new information where people have gone, a card flipped or something, and like, oh, I really wanted this, but because you have more information now. If it's some kind of... Um, you know, like, I didn't think this through kind of move, which doesn't involve new information. I'm totally fine with, like, taking it back, actually, and that's perfectly fine with me. I have that exact same standard. As long as you don't have to reverse other people's Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Definitely. As long as it's just you <laughs> yeah. and, like, yeah, for sure. something, like, instead of a coin, I should have got a guy, and, like, there's no new information. You just, thought of, you just thought of it better. I think uh, the reason I'm fine with that is because the alternative is having, like, like chess rules or something, which would just slow down a lot of games because you would have to be absolutely perfectly sure that you have exactly what you need, which would increase, like, thinking time. That's super that's agree. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 But anytime new information gets revealed or something happens, you should not take yeah. back your turn. Yeah, definitely. Another kind of take back, see, that I'm completely okay with, but some people still ask about is, oh, when I built this statue, I should have gotten five points. Dang it. I'm like, just move your marker five points. Yeah. That doesn't affect things. But I'm, people I'm are really polite and ask about that. Yeah. I don't even ask. I just move my right. marker five points. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if it's points, it's just like, yeah. or I should Take have received points, this, yeah. you should yeah. just yep. receive this. Yes. Definitely. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, like all of these things, I think, have times where they're okay and times where they're not. Um, and then when the game is over, help at least ask if the person needs help packing up the game. Like, I've had this happen to me multiple times where it's a game that's a pretty hefty task to take out and put away. And we get done with the game, and people will just, like, here you go, shove all their player stuff at me and stand up and walk away and go find another game. Like, um, okay. I've had good luck with that lifetime. I don't remember any times of that happening to me, thankfully. I've seen it happen a few times, but I think our gaming group is pretty decent on that. They Everybody's helping put away the game. I think you keep in mind also that it's not just a selfless thing. You are you are moving along to get the next game played. Exactly. And if one person's doing it by themselves, obviously it's going to take longer. I suffer from everything has a bag. Everything has to go in the right way. So yeah. it could be a little annoying helping me put away a game. Because you kind of um, have to do it yourself. Um, yeah. I mean, it, the polite thing is to offer, but yeah, right. some mm -hmm. games I actually kind of prefer to put them away myself just because I want to like reorganize mm -hmm. them or something, and I'll just say people like shouldn't help me in that case, but it's the polite thing is to ask if people yeah. need mm -hmm. help, yeah. Or, I mean, my go-to if I don't know if I should help put things away is at least start like maybe with my player pieces oh yeah like i knew those came from a bag and i know where yeah. that bag is mm -hmm. so i'm gonna put them back in the same bag or like okay i'm gonna start gathering all the money from around the table and put it in a pile so it can be put away easier yeah oh yeah you could always separate things simple out. things like putting like the same thing together that should be pretty yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> it should happen <laughs> yeah um okay this should have been talked about while we were talking about the game. And I feel like this should be obvious, which is why we didn't talk about it um, during our last episode, is don't cheat. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. no fun to play with people who cheat. Even if you think it's funny, it's not. Don't uh, cheat. Right. It, I mean, it should almost not be said. Like you said, it's pretty obvious. But it should still be said because you absolutely shouldn't cheat. Uh, What's the point? You're not actually winning. Yeah. It's a facade win 
Mm-hmm. So yeah. why do it? Again, very kind of amusing thing. There are actually games out there which <laughs> encourage you to cheat. It's the mechanism in the game. Yeah, that's like the feature of the game is like you should, like if you can get away with it and no one calls you on it. Munchkin has that. It says, if you can cheat and not get caught, then yeah. you can cheat. But yeah. isn't that every game? That is, no, no, that's <laughs> yeah. just terrible if but a yeah, game encourages you to cheat. I mean, it's kind of funny. I guess it might be refreshing to like play. I, I, it wasn't Munchkin. It was a different game. Munchkin is all meta that. jokes anyway. Right, yeah. yeah. But anyway, but no, I agree. You shouldn't cheat. I think it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. I kind of don't understand the mentality, but that's just me and maybe that's all of us. I can see how the mentality, it can sneak in. Kind of two ways. One goes with takesy-backsies. Sometimes if you're a super takesy-backsy person, you end up cheating. I'm going to put down three wood and take one stone to build this building. Oh, no, wait, this building. Put some stone and wood back and forth into the supply and buildings back and forth. And at the end, you ended up with more stone and buildings than you started with. There's also something There's something called quick change that people do to um, like cashiers and such. Oh, I've seen yeah. those yeah, videos. It's like, it's like really quick. Like, wait, can I, I give you a 10 and now I have a 20 and here's this envelope and a thing and then they walk out with all the cash somehow. Well, it's just really quick. Like, can I get, uh, you know, four quarters for this dollar and, you know, two fives for this to 10. To confuse people yeah. that do it yeah. like for math reasons. Right. So, yeah. And yes, taking back turns and switching out resources, you can accidentally being doing, doing this quick mm-hmm. change thing. Or on purpose. Who knows? Yeah. And I think it can kind of, I think the cheating mentality sneaks up on you, kind of like you said, of like, well, no one noticed when I took the extra wood. Yeah, you should just be honest, right? Because just just be honest. Don't, even little things. If you are the only person that knows you did it, you're also going to be the person that knows that you didn't win in a fair way. But you could also forget rules in your favor as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, that was the other way I was going to say mm-hmm. is you tip the scales in your favor. I think we all, every once in a while, can't remember, did I take those four points? And it'd be an interesting board game personality test to see how often you're like, oh, I'd better not take them. And maybe some people are always like, better be, better be safe than sorry, give me four <laughs> points. <laughs> I've calculated <laughs> points wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And I've done this in Riverboat a few times where I'm like, oh, uh, ooh, I gave myself five extra points. I take that back obviously right yes. i do the math again in my head while I, so because you're trying to do the math very quickly so the other person can take their turn whatever and then it starts going around you redo the math in your head and you go no 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 i gave myself too many points and you should take it back yeah um and then just going along with the concept of like be aware that you're playing with other people don't <laughs> come to the board game meetup or a place that where you're sick um and I think you have to be especially careful with board games because of the fact that we're sharing components. The money that you're playing with is going to go into the pile with the rest of the money and somebody's going to pick those up. Um, so you have to be, I feel like, extra cautious. There's this thing, uh, like, the is it the Vegas flu? Right. Because In Las Vegas, everybody's touching all of the poker chips and the blackjack chips from all over the world. And they don't get washed. Like, I'm not going around, I'm not putting my board game components in the dishwasher and making sure they're sanitized. Like, don't touch my game if you're sick. Yeah, if you're sick, you should probably not come. If you're unsure that you're contagious, there's precautions you could take. You could wear, like, a surgical mask and keep hand sanitizer on you. I think that's the best way if you're like, I can't miss a board game day. I have to play games. I have to get out of the house. I'm not sure if I'm contagious. Just take those precautions. Otherwise, like, stay home. 
if you have a fever, stay home. Don't even do the mask and sanitizer. If you have a right. fever, if you're throwing up, just stay home. Don't come. Yeah, don't throw up on the board game. <laughs> don't, don't throw up on the board game. That's the best advice I've heard today. Yes. No, I mean, um, depends I don't know. on the game. Really, <laughs> I think I'm less fine with. It kind of depends on the person. It's kind of like food, actually. Like um, you can eat food and be fine with board games, or you can like be not fine eating food with board games. So I, to me, it's kind of the same thing. I'm actually fine with people who wear a mask and like don't touch their face. That's really the big thing is just like your hands are fine until you touch your face probably when you're sick and then they're not fine and then everyone's sick. I touch my so face. I'm staying home. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think a big thing also is like you don't really, for some people, like if you get sick, it's not a big deal because like you don't have to worry about it. But I mean like, Brandon has a baby at home. Mm-hmm. Like you definitely don't want to be bringing germs home. Right. I, you know, if I get sick, like that puts my entire profession into a mess and into a tailspin. Like I can get sick. You don't under, you don't know what's going on in other people's lives. You're playing with you an know. adult, with adults. Adults have adult responsibilities. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. This isn't like, you know, a chicken pox party. Board games aren't <laughs> toys. Okay. We're grown ups. That was a thing back in our day. I know. Right? I remember. Yeah. yeah. You, so the kid has chicken pox and all of a sudden you're like, why am I over here playing with them? <laughs> so you get chicken pox. You didn't pox. get that in no. You didn't know the chicken no. pox parties? Yeah. No. That happened weird? in America. Because if you get it when you're younger, it's much better. Because if you yeah. get it when you're older, it could turn into shingles, I think. Yeah. It's called shingles. Yeah. It's like life threatening yeah. maybe. Um, yeah. I remember I went over to some kids' houses oh, and actually played board games with them. To get infected. When they had, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To, to get it over with. I DIY see. vaccination. But I never got yeah. it. I don't know. I might be. Oh, I got it. It was miserable. Superhuman. Who knows? Awful. I think I've had it as well. Probably. Like school, I think though. everybody's had it. Yeah. Well, unless you're young. I remember it was a week of... Actually, it was kind of miserable, but then I stayed home and it was not bad. Probably not, as miserable, as, <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah. not <laughs> as miserable as shingles. <laughs> that could yeah. be Definitely. deadly. Yeah, yeah. probably not. All right, so that was our board game topic, and up next is our top three. All right, so our top three this today is uh, going to be our top three games that we've played too much. I should state that this is a much different list than um, games played the most because most played games are actually games that I like and I'm still playing a lot mm-hmm. too much is I've played it in too many times where I don't really want to play it anymore uh yeah the funny thing is one of the games I actually do want to play more actually two of the games I do want to play more but these are kind of games which I kind of obsessively have played is kind of what my list is maybe the list should have been called games that I've played games top three games we've obsessively played uh that's kind of how i made my list is there's kind of a few games where for whatever reason i'll talk about i've played a lot of times kind of in an obsessive way so that's how i made my list um i kind of thought about the games that i've played too much for what they are so games where the strategy doesn't really change so you're just kind (laughs) of doing the same thing this game and then the other, you know, um, and like to me, even some of those games I really enjoy playing, um, because of just the sameness of it. You know exactly what you're doing. 
Um, I too kind of took it from the obsessive angle. These are games that I've kind of played obsessively, whether I still like them or don't. I have a few of each. Um, also, I this is a podcast about board games you didn't grow up with, so I didn't include board games before like 2010. Yeah. Settlers of Catan, Munchkin didn't make the list. Mm, not even Puerto Rico and Agricola wow. because why did I play those like a hundred times? Because they were like the only game, you know. I, if they were designed today, I might still like them, but they wouldn't make this list. I wouldn't have 120 plays of Puerto Rico. It's not that I will never play these games that are on my list. I will. I would say my number one, I would only play for nostalgic reasons. And number two and three, I'd probably just not be excited to play, but would. All right. Um, I uh, guess I should say also is... Um, uh, I played a lot of these games online, which is a little bit cheaty because board games, like generally, we play offline. And I actually have a honorable mentions of the list would have been slightly different if it was an offline only list. But I feel like online, offline kind of didn't matter so much. So that's just a side note. Number three. My number three is Hanabi. I have played this game quite a bit online, mostly. Um, offline a few times, but actually kind of I prefer to play it online in a weird way, maybe, but offline is fine as well. I just haven't maybe found the right group to play it obsessively online. I mean, offline. Uh, I played on Board Game Arena. Um, the weird thing is it's kind of I guess it's kind of like old games on Board Game Arena, but it's this weird game where it's a communication game, but you never talk to the person. You just connect to random people on the internet and you like point at cards. It's it's very strange, actually. I've thought about it. It's like, I don't know, you know, we come together. And the weird thing is online, there's these unspoken rules, uh, kind of like metagaming, like we were talking about uh, trick-taking games and other, peop- other games have metagame rules. And Hanabi definitely has metagame rules. And actually, that's kind of what makes it good for me is people who understand those metagame rules and then the game is really fun um they're kind of too difficult to explain because i have to explain the game but basically if you're interested in how to play hanabi more awesomely you should look at like the conventions for playing hanabi i think is what it's called it's posted on board game arena forums or something um there's some really cool things you can do with more than two players those things don't work with two players really uh, so with three or four players, which I feel like is the best way to play, you can play the game really awesomely. Um, it was kind of like a relaxing game, maybe after a work game that I used to just connect and play. And sometimes I'd, I'd get in like this groove of just like, oh, one more game, one more game, one more game. And like two hours later, I played like seven or eight games of Hanabi with like different people. Or maybe we have like a bad game and we want to play again with like the same group of people. So we just like relaunch it. Uh, but yeah, so Hanabi is my three. I guess I should say I will still play Hanabi a lot. It's still a favorite of mine. It's actually one of the games I really highly enjoy out there. It's too uh, hard for me to remember my cards. I have to play it online. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. The, the online thing also helps you. Like uh, It marks the clues for you. And actually, some people have made like an offline system for that. But I don't mind the remembering of cards. Some people made like a flippy thing that like a pad in front of you that you can use to mark things. I'm too fidgety for Hanabi. I'd like immediately as soon as someone gives me a clue, I start playing with my cards. It's bad. <laughs> I have to play that <laughs> game online. 
Uh, my number three is the same as Matt's number three, so I guess we can talk about this together. Uh, and this is a game that I actually still really enjoy. It's just a game that there's not a whole lot of strategical depth to. You're kind of going to do the same thing over and over and over again. The variability comes from, like, this game I'm going to try this strategy, and it's Trajan. Um, I still enjoy the game. I just feel like I've played it enough that I've explored all the different strategies. So now I'm at that stage of like, can I do this strategy better? Uh, yeah. And unfortunately it seems like the nine point tiles <coughs> is just too easy of a good yeah. strategy to just win and win. So the ultimate, s the strategical depth is limited kind of like all Stefan filled games. I've seen you abuse that plenty yeah. of times. Uh, I yeah. do think that the Mancala of the game, how you take your turns is what prevents it for me from just like um, exploring that, like you can't do your perfect strategy every time because those things cannot be always lined up perfectly. So I've played this like 25 times online and had my rating go up and up and up because when this first came out, I had like dreams about the Moncala, right? <laughs> like it really clicked with my brain. Uh -huh. But now I'm so fluent in the Moncala that I can just make it do what I want, you know? Yeah. It's, it's practically not any different than the Navigador Moncala. Gotcha. You can go to a few different spots, and if you want to make a little sacrifice, you can go to whatever spot. It's just the, with competent players, players who have played it like 30 times, it mainly comes down to what comes out at the refresh in between seasons, a.k.a. luck. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of those games I feel like do, like Euros in general. Like once you get to a certain level, it's all like the order of reveal, the order of the way things come out. Mm -hmm. So this game has actually fallen from my number three at this time last year to I think it's like 30. It's kind of fallen alert. a lot for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, th I, I agree. I think we've played it because that was like our fifth or sixth board game that we bought. And we've played it to death to the point now where I feel like both of us can like set that Moncala up to do what we want it to do. Stefan Feld doesn't do, he's not as expansion happy as other people. Other games might have gotten an expansion, added in a few mechanisms, a twist or something that would have kept the game alive longer, but he kind of doesn't seem interested in that, to his credit, maybe. Actually, mm. I really like that. I was going to say his games feel very complete. Like, I don't know how you'd fit an expansion. You'd have to, like, force it in some weird way into a Trajan just because the game feels complete. Well, it feels like it, it already has expansions, right? It's yeah. six mini exactly. expansions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Six mini games. Six <laughs> modules. Yeah. Uh, that was also my number three, so... Oh, okay. Uh, my number three is Camel Up. Um, now, I haven't played it a lot with this group. I think when the second edition first came out, we played it a few times. I played this mainly with my in-laws. And I should note, in-laws has become, like, a bad word in our society. But I actually really enjoy my in-laws. And, uh, and we play a lot of games together. And when I showed this game to them, they like blew them away and they always wanted to play and we played over and over and over again. And it and it gets down to basically taking educated guesses. That's what the whole game is. It's a bidding game and you're bidding on these camels, whether they're winning or losing, and how do they move? Dice rolls. And there's like I mean, statistics, it's a game of statistics. But I don't feel like the game changes from time to time. The cool thing about the game is like that exactly like you know the funny thing of like everybody knows who the lead is and purple's in last place and then the purple camel moves up to first place and everybody's like what how <laughs> how could that be like the unexpected things happening <laughs> uh 
it loses its flavor after a lot of plays. Although I would play this again, I wouldn't be that excited. That's my number three camel it, up. I'm still on the upward slope of this hill. I haven't played that enough, I think. But oh. I can I can totally believe you that it gets stale after 50 yeah, plays. Yeah. No, I was going to say it's good that you're getting good mileage out of the game because it was Christmas gift 2018, I think. Or oh, something. yeah. I got so it as yeah, a Christmas yeah, gift. It's, yeah, it's good. From you, actually. Yeah, this, that, I, that, that's, that's la- a good part. And this yeah. last year's Christmas gift was from you, too. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Number two. My number two is Catan. And I put that uh, game on the list because it just had to be on there. I used to really obsessively play this game actually online. Uh, there's a there's a website called Asobrain, A-S-O Brain. He actually has a Carcassonne implementation as well, but for some reason the Carcassonne implementation was not popular. What was really popular was the Catan implementation, and actually a very kind of cool website. Uh, it was free. Oh, the funny thing is it was called Explorers because it couldn't <laughs> be called Catan because of copyright reasons, so it was called Explorers, but it's basically Catan. It's like really, there's like no difference. The deck of cards even lined up? Uh deck of cards with soldiers in it and monopoly cards i was, I was actually gonna say the funny thing is i've haven't played that the base game very much i used to play cities and knights only and seafarers um the we, the cool thing is i don't know if i haven't even looked at the physical versions of the game but he had like all these maps for for Catan. so like uh i don't know if he can make these maps with the physical components which is kind of fascinating for about with playing Catan online um, there used to be maps of like a central island and like islands on the outside. There used to be maps of like mixed islands with seafarers. So seafarers, it kinda, yeah. So it kind of it kind of changes the game very significantly, actually. Um, so I used to just like I say obsessively play this for like a period of like three years. I think I played like I don't know. I want to say almost every day, but not really. Um, just a lot, like back to back games of Catan. Um, it was before I kind of got into modern gaming, actually, uh, just right before, maybe, um, maybe like 2006, 2007, 8 or something like that. Uh, the person who did, a friend of mine actually got me into it and told me about the website and we actually used to play with each other and then I started playing with other people. Um, I don't know, not much to say about it other than I obsessively played Catan. I don't know. It doesn't. It actually might have my statistics. I'm not even sure if it exists anymore. That's the funny thing is I should have logged in to see how many times I played, but it's probably like in the hundreds, like easily like 500 plus. So anyway, um, I would probably not play Catan anymore because that kind of really burned me out and I just don't want to play it anymore now. Even with every single Cities and Nights expansion, this other expansion, Volcano expansion. I don't know about the Volcano expansion or what it does, but no, I would not play the base game. I really like Cities and Nights. Seafarers is kind of meh, whatever. Like, it's just more stuff. Like, Cities and Nights, in my opinion, makes the game a lot better than base. But still, I mean, I'd play it for, like, nostalgia, but I'm really burned out on that game. But that's my number two, Katan. So my number two is Agricola. And as I was talking about Feast for Odin earlier in the show, I started to think about this as my number two. And I kind of started to realize that maybe our house rules for Agricola sort of broke it. So maybe it's unfair. Um, So 
the first thing, this isn't a house rule, but we took out the occupation cards. So we basically play the family edition. Um, maybe the occupation cards would add some variability into it. I don't know. Um, the second one is in Agricola, you have the cards, but they're face down until they're revealed and they become a new action selection spot. You know when about they're going to be revealed, but you don't know exactly what order they're going to come out in. Um, and when we were playing Agricola a bunch, uh, the people in the group we were playing it with had this like obsession with finding the perfect information game. And so the first thing they did was flip over all of the cards so that you knew exactly what order they were coming out in. Um, and so my complaint with Agricola is, you know the strategy you're going for. You're going for the same strategy as you did last game, probably. Um, and the only real difference comes in is if someone takes the action spot you wanted, but there's probably an action spot somewhere that will help you out. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe we broke it. Maybe it's better the <laughs> way Rosenberg designed it. <laughs> I'm not interested to find out whether we broke it. I'm just ready to move on to Caverna probably in that case. If That's you're true done with too, the yeah. Jesse version of Agricola that we did. I wonder if you guys played it too much already and then started adding in house rules to make it better and yeah. then got sick of it again. Yeah, could be. I mean, to Matt's point. <laughs> definitely could be. I would definitely rather play Caverna. I think Caverna is a deeper game. It's more fun. Um, but again, we did the same thing with Caverna where all the cards are face up. So, you know, like you don't have access to all of them, but you know what order they're coming out in. Mm. I wonder if I'd enjoy Caverna more if we didn't do that. I'm willing to try it. Um, so my number two is Lorenzo. One of the reasons I've played this so much what? is because everybody likes it so much. Um, all of the groups I play games with really like it. Um, and this is one that I'm still interested in playing and playing and playing. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily mean that I don't want to play these games again. This is still, like, in my top five. Um, but this game has ten different families and, like, 18 different excommunication tiles and a whole deck of brown cards. Um, so whatever combo comes out, uh, there's going to be something broken about the game. <laughs> but the fun part is you start the game by auctioning, and then you have to prove that your idea is broken. And I usually don't like debriefs after games, big long things of the winner telling everybody how come he won and then the loser whining about this and stuff. <laughs> With Lorenzo, I actually do. I can actually just leave the components out and talk about it for 30 minutes and think about this interaction and why'd you go for that play. Uh, Lorenzo's just a magical game. So I've played it a ton and I actually am not anywhere near exhausting all the possibilities with it. Gotcha. This isn't a too much. You haven't played it too much. You just played it obsessively. Like you like you said before the mm -hmm. list. That's very interesting. I didn't think about bidding on the families as being like, look, I'll take the lowest resources and still make this family work. But you're right. That's exactly what it is. You're trying to break the game. It's yeah. a, it's all about cheeses. Yeah. If I, if I see a family that comes out that goes perfectly with my strategy, mm -hmm. I'll take almost no no resources with the it. The weird uh -huh. thing is the cheeses depend on other people and the dice rolls and the order in which the cards come out. So which is some of the magic. Uh, yeah. If you did want to magic, just play yeah. with the same three families and brown cards and excommunication tiles, maybe like five times in a row, maybe you could. But I think I mean don't try it. <laughs> yeah. Uh my number two is Ganshan Clever or That's Pretty Clever. Um, I do enjoy rolling rights, I think because it's linked because I played a lot of Yahtzee when I was a kid, and so, like, these uh, newer rolling rights that come out are, like, 
way better than Yahtzee. This one was like my favorite roll and write. Um, I played it too much though because first of all, there's an app and I was playing the heck out of that app. And second of all, there's a solo game and I was playing the solo game and I was playing with the group a lot and it was a perfect game for my wife and I to play when our daughter was taking a nap because it's like we both know it and it's very quick. Let's just do it. So basically, what it, it's a cool game and I would still play it um, but th basically, you get a strategy for that game and then it just depends on the dice rolls. Like, there's some things that you should do or not do depending on the dice rolls and, and uh, that might switch up your strategy but Basically, I've had very painful games where I just, like, have something in mind, and it, then the dice rolls just don't let it happen. In its defense a little bit, uh, I think that next time I play this, I want to look at other people's papers more and use that kind of de decision to decide how much to press my luck. Like, if somebody's doing really well, I should go for things and hope to get lucky. But if I'm in the lead and things are going Poorly for other people, I want to be conservative. Yeah, I think we're supposed to do that more. I think I've never played it and never looked up for my paper. I think that's probably bad. The game is designed to look at other players' things because uh, what you're leaving them to. That's pretty much like uh, all push your luck games. Is I think you should push more when you're behind, and uh, the funny thing is then you fail more maybe sometimes, and it's funny because then you have to push <laughs> even more. You're setting a trash fire on yeah. fire. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's basically push your luck games, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that is my number two, Gonshan Clever. Number one. My number one is Race for the Galaxy. Uh, that's a game that got me into modern gaming. I still really love it. It's definitely top 10. I, again, used to obsessively play it on board game arena in particular. I used to just play back-to-back -back games. And the funny thing about that game is it's literally like seven or eight minutes, uh, online when the computer is like doing all the moving around the physical components. And when you play with the variant, which is default online of two role selections in two player games, which is the way to play that game. In my opinion, there's like multiplayer games like LOL. You should play two players with two roles, uh, which is listed as like a variant in the rule book. But in my opinion, like I say, um, so I used to just like play games back to back for like several like hours again over a period of like a year or two um and because the game is so short i have like hundreds of plays i think i've like across two accounts i have like seven or eight or eight hundred plays or something of that game which is just ridiculous um i don't know there's really not that much game to explore there but i find it fascinating the way like Every time the cards come out in a different way, you can go for a different thing. Um, you can make different decisions. And even if you like change one card in the sequence of the way you build out your cards, it kind of changes the game. And you should look at what the other person is doing. Uh, people complain it's solitaire. I don't really think it's solitaire. I think there's plenty of interaction of like knowing or looking at what people are going for in a way um, and how fast the game goes. Because a huge part of the game is like rushing it or not rushing it. So you can definitely modify your game. Um, 
it's really cool. I haven't really enjoyed the other games of the Race for the Galaxy type so much. I'm pretty good at them just because they're very similar to race, I think, in general. But I think the purity of, like, cards, just cards, and the quickness of the game is kind of what attracts me to it. I think the other games kind of muddle it a little bit too much. Uh, but, yeah, pretty much obsessively played Race for the Galaxy and got me into modern gaming. I used to play offline with some people as well um, before on the, the online. As well. So I've played offline and online, so that's probably even more plays. Uh, again, we used to play it over and over. Um, I was actually, like, throughout this list, uh, there's this um, obsession of, I think, I don't know how I, like, got out of it because I think some people are into it and we call them, like, gateway people who play obsessively the same game over and over. And that's kind of the point of this list is maybe these games were when I was a little bit newer to games or just, I don't know, I had, like, a different mentality and then I kind of broke out of it, which is kind of weird because I... A lot of these games are, like, you know the rules and you're very familiar with the game and you, you just play, like, over mm -hmm. and over. And the temptation is kind of you don't want to learn new rules or new games or be, like, challenged, like... Not be challenged, but, like, have to learn new things. And somehow I broke out of it, but... Uh, when I was into it, I definitely played those games a lot. And yeah. Anyway, race is my number one. I didn't think of it that way, but I fully agree because my three are the exact same idea of games that we very early on got into. Um, and I think kind of just piggybacking off what you said, I think early on in your gaming career, when you're like a gateway gamer, it's a lot harder to see all the strategies. Whereas at this point in our lives, like you put a game out in front of us and like, oh, this is a good strategy, this is a bad strategy. That's a good point. It, it took us longer in the beginning to figure out those strategies yeah. that in some of these games that we're listing now, maybe you could just look and say, oh, yeah, that's yep. kind of scripted. Um, and it stayed fun for longer to win the same way over and over <laughs> and over <laughs> again. Like, Take that, mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, my number one is Takenoko. Uh, in Takenoko, you are trying to get the most points um, there's a panda and a farmer and the panda wants to eat bamboo and the farmer wants to grow bamboo and both of them are controlled by each player and you just get points by making either of them happy. Uh, this is one of our early games as well. Um, I don't know what to say. I just don't think I like it anymore. <laughs> this is like one of the games like Trajan I'll play again, Agricola I'll play Caverna. I won't play Agricola. Takenoko I just don't want to ever play again. I I just remember the panda objectives were OP from what I remember. The gardener objectives were just like one of each. super difficult. There were some kind of hex objectives which were freaking impossible. And yeah. you just like get a panda objective and like LOL, you just run around and like eat stuff and you score major points. I don't know. I think it has to do with the timing of the game though and the way it plays out. But yeah. I mean, this game has so much promise though. Like I love the art of it. I love the uh -huh. idea of the little panda moving around. I think and it's really cute. If they cute, had actually. a little rebalance yeah. Yeah, the look of, of it certain is things. Nice. Yeah, I want there to be a Takenoko 2 10 year anniversary edition or something. But There's a giant edition. Yeah, have you seen the, gi <laughs> have you seen the giant Okay, edition? I'll take bigger. <laughs> and no, it's, it's huge. It's like 150 or something, and it comes in this like huge box of, like I don't know, like 10 inches or something. You could something. use the pandas, the, the pandas like decoration. Like, the pandas like 10 inches high. It's just ridiculous, yeah. And there's chibis. Don't forget that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just I don't know what to say about this game other than I just got super sick of it. I just don't think it's as fun as I thought it was when we first started <laughs> playing it. Um, yeah, it's all like random... <laughs> BS, I feel like. <laughs> I played it um, <laughs> later on after I played a ton of games, and one play is all it took. 
for yeah. me to say, nah, this, this was interesting, interestingly fun, but I don't really need to play it again. Yeah, I think if someone pulled it out and tried to get me to play it today, I might even look at it and go, mm, nah, I'm not playing that. Um, so my number one uh, is one aspect of my favorite game ever, Terra Mystica. Mainly, I still love the game. There's expansions, infinite replayability, just like Lorenzo. But for the online tournament, you know, that happens and you have leagues and promotions and relegations, they don't use any expansions. So uh, about a quarter of my games are played with no expansions and these exact four factions, Engineers, Witches, Darklings, Cultists, and I am so sick of it. So it's kind of like rolling the dice because one out of every five games of this, I hate and it's such a drag and I don't even log on to make moves because it just plays itself and we all are just going through the motions and everyone's played it, but it's like something we have to do. So like a fifth of my favorite game is an absolute chore (laughs) and I've played it that exact matchup maybe a hundred times. Um, my number one falls into the category uh, that Risto was talking about, which was my early day of gaming, and it got me into designer games. It got me into game stores to make me realize that there is other games and tons of games. Uh, my number one is DC Deck Building. Um, I got into this game because I saw it being played, and I was playing games like Betrayal, uh, Rent... Uh, um, uh, gosh, what is it called? Uh, Resistance and Werewolf and, believe it or not, D&D. And when I saw this being played, I was actually reading the comic books that the art was based on. It was uh, DC's New 52 line. And so I was like, I have to play this. And we bought the base game. And there's actually four base games that you can buy. And we bought all four of them. <laughs> and it's almost a living card game because they have they had three bigger box expansions and a ton of these small expansions that kind of add to the game and give you more heroes and whatnot. So we were buying all of them, and we ended up like completing it. Not to this day, because they've still put out things that we haven't bought. Um, but that was the only game we played, and we played it multiple times a night, just about every night, and it was like the best thing in the world. And again, this is because we didn't realize anything was out there. It was like the first time we were introduced to a designer card game and we were like, this is so much better than Uno, you know, because <laughs> we didn't have much to compare it to. So we played it tons and going into the stores to get the expansions, I went, you know, well, what's this game over here? And so it, it got me into the hobby. So there's a lot of appreciation there. And oddly enough, I bought an expansion like months ago for it just to put it in my collection, knowing that I would maybe never play it again. Again, like I said before, I would probably play it for nostalgic reasons. Um, but it would have to be with the people that I played it with previously. Like, I wouldn't bring it to the game group and make you guys play it. Um, it's, it's, it's random. It has a card river for a deck building game, which is typically kind of bad, you know. And it's just not that interesting. But, um, but man, did we find it extremely fun. Uh, so that's my number one DC deck building. All right, and that will conclude our show. We'd like to thank you for listening. And if you've listened this long, maybe you like the show. Maybe you want to give us a, a good review. We would appreciate that. Uh, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Very easy, just cards and cubes. 
Um, our website is www.cardsandcubes.com. Our email is cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com. We'd like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing our theme and Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. You can find some art from Kirsten Adams at catcoffee.com. That's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. SaltCon is bringing the flavor back to gaming. Uh, SaltCon Spring 2020 is March 5th through the 8th. Uh, It's an awesome convention. If you're in the Utah area, it's the biggest convention in Utah and Cards and Cubes will have a presence there. More on that later. Again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we will see you next time.